0: I love watching the energy and playfulness of a group of children, the way they organize themselves, the way they interact. There seems to be this recent interest in large families, reality TV, the blog world, this curiosity about what it is like to parent a group of children, a whole herd of children. Today's interview is with the mother of 13 children. She talks with me about what she loves about her family, what's been challenging, and the ways that her faith have shaped who she's become as a parent. Thanks for listening to Parenting Reimagined. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents. And we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Angela Seip is a homeschooling, music-writing, amazing supermom. She is mother to 13 children, ranging in age from 5 months to 16 years. For more about Angela, you can follow her on her blog, theamazingsupermom.blogspot.com. Could you begin by saying a little bit about your family?
1: Yeah. My husband is Brian. He's an IT geek guy. And then we've got 13 kids. We have seven boys and six girls. They range in ages from 16 down to five months. Our 11th child was adopted. And so she and our 12th, Leah and Isaac, are five months apart. So we call them the twins. So aside from that, everybody's about 16, 17, 18 months apart.
0: So what factors went into your decision to have a large family? We
1: started off wanting probably four kids, maybe six. We meant to have them, I meant to have them like at three years apart. And so our first two kids were born 17 months apart. And then another one came 16 months later and another one came 16 months later. And there I was at 29 and theoretically done and I wasn't ready to be done. And I was like, I can't, I'm not ready to be done I'm not. I don't want to be finished. So we said, well, we'll take it kind of one kid at a time. And so we had one more, and then we had one more. And and somewhere along the line there, we started really feeling like God knew better than we did about kids and about how good of a thing that they were. And felt like each kid was like winning the lottery. Each child was like, you know, getting the jackpot. How unique and, and what a treasure each of them is. Somewhere along the lines, you know, we've got the big van, we've got the house and and we'll just take whatever God gives us at this point.
0: It sounds like once life was set up for a large family, it's sort of like ah, 13, 15, we're, we're ready.
1: We kind of just got one over to them. People say, well, how many kids do you want? I'm like, I don't know. I'm about six kids beyond my wildest dreams. And now I'm 41. I'm probably nearing the end of of being able to have more children. And I'm, I'm grieving that. I'm, I mean, I'm fine. I'm excited. I'm pleased with what I have. And, you know, I know that the next phase of life will be good and I, it's good. But at the same time for 17 years, there, there's been a momentum of excitement of knowing that somebody's coming and that that season will end. And, and I'm not, it's okay. I've got gray hair and people think I'm my baby's grandmother now, but it's been a good, it's a good thing. I'm grateful for the ones we have, but I'd be happy to have I'd be happy to have a dozen more.
0: What are the unique challenges that you face as a mother of a large family?
1: Well, socks and spoons and food are all hard things, you know, making sure there are clean socks matched, making sure that there are spoons and other dishes and things and keeping up with laundry and dishes are the bane of everyone's existence. I am challenged with I call it straddling. I've got children with hormones raging and people growing up and I've got babies in diapers and potty training and trigonometry and, you know, just being able to be there for everybody, being able to listen. I've got some kids who just, they just need to be heard. They just want to talk. They're 13 and 12 and they just need to to feel. And I got people that are playing in the toilet and, you know, um, doing what toddlers do I've got one that bites. And so, you know, just trying to be emotionally available and physically available for all of the very different needs is a big challenge. And I think teaching my children, my older children to value the younger children, even though they spend a decent amount of time cleaning up the younger kids mess, or that's, that's been a challenge that I think we've done well with.
0: So, your older children it sounds like play a pretty large role in caring for the the younger set, and it strikes me that that's maybe different than in smaller families, but has some valuable lessons for your older kids.
1: Yeah, people look and say, well you're doing you know you're doing your mom's work or you're you know you're doing work that other teenagers don't have and and what they say about that is yeah, but we have, we reap the benefit. Also, we have these little kids that love us and worship the ground we walk on. And, you know, we get snuggles and hugs and kisses. And so my, my kids do the buddy system. We have all the older kids have a younger buddy and they stand in line. They wait until they're old enough to get a buddy. It's a big honor to have a buddy, but you know, they help put shoes on the little kids. And when it's time to go, does your buddy have your coat on? And you know, finding socks for your buddy. And sometimes they are the one that tucked buddy in at night and reading a story to your buddy. You know, my young readers read a story to their buddy every day and that's great for their reading and it's great for the buddy. And so I, I think it's very symbiotic. I think that they get a lot from that relationship also.
0: Yeah. How many spoons do you have? Uh, not enough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just bought a
0: couple of, they
1: sell you can get them like for four for a dollar at Walmart. I mean, we don't have any like matching. Although Mary has this, de- Mary's three. Mary's decided that some of them are girl spoons. Anything that's etched, she needs. I don't, I don't even have any idea. I don't know. Probably 40. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Matched socks are bad. I can't wait for summer. Matched socks in the winter. That's hot commodity. That's better Better <laughs> than money or bread. It's having socks that are the right size. It's a big deal.
0: Do you have more than one washing machine?
1: No, I don't need more than one washing machine. What I need is like two or three people that can competently sort clothing by the size. I don't get backed up on dirty clothes. I get backed up on clean clothes because you have to be pretty qualified to know whose everything is. We have one washer and one dryer. We've got two boys that are supposed to do laundry every day do one load a piece every day. And then we've got a couple of bigger boys that do one load a week. And then I do the cloth diapers and I do it as much as I can. And then I've got one person supposed to hang up shirts, another person that is supposed to fold and sort things into everybody's buckets. And then different people bring dirty clothes and different people put away things and different people bring hangers. And nearly everybody has a laundry job and nearly everybody has a kitchen or cleaning job. If you've got that many people, nobody does a lot. Everybody just has a couple things that if they do their thing, everybody does their part. It'll work.
0: Is it on a chart somewhere? Yep. Okay, so you have chore charts and yeah. my, poster boards. and
1: My refrigerator is covered with chore charts. Uh, we print out a new one each month or every two months. And lately we've started classifying chores as Things that you have to do every day versus things that are less important. So I can say everybody has to do their A and C things today or everything today or just the E things today or whatever, trying to, trying to get things done. But we still don't do anything on the weekend. Nobody does anything on the weekend. I haven't figured out how to make that happen yet.
0: Well, on the seventh day you rest, right?
1: Yeah. And, And starting really halfway through the fifth day and all day on the sixth day and,
0: What do you enjoy most about it?
1: I love seeing faces in the morning. I love sleepy faces. I love their personalities and their laughing. And I love when they play games together. They make up goofy games. Catherine got a concussion recently. They were playing Baby Runt Moose Assassin. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. It's something they made up. (laughs) So, you know, they just... The concussion wasn't good, but I love all the games. I love all of the the goofy things that they do together. I love hearing them sing in the van. They sing all the songs we sang when we were kids, and they. I love it when they all wear matching clothes. I get a huge kick out of having them all dressed in a way that people can identify. Yeah, we're one family. Like having jackets for a club or something. They like it.
0: I bet there's a sense of belonging to this sort of big team. It is. that comes with being one of the sipe kids.
1: It is. Being a sipe kid's a big deal. And I mean, like their circle, you know, the kids that they all would love to be a sipe kid. Not, I mean, maybe not really, but like they would love to go get in the big blue van and go wherever. It's, I mean, you know, it just has a feeling of being a, a cool thing. I don't know that there's any reality to it, but that's what that's the image we've got.
0: Can you think of a moment that reflects the very best of you as a mom? This is a hard one. Growing up, we wrote letters
1: to Santa Claus. My mom and dad would write a letter back to us from Santa. That was a tradition. And this letter from my parents was always this, your parents love you and they mess up sometimes, you know, go easy on them and remember that Jesus is the most important thing. And I see you're doing good on your piano. And there's this nugget where my parents would write this wonderful letter to us once a year. So we do that. Well, the last two years, my kids have written a letter back to us. The older kids sit everybody down and everybody writes a letter. So I got 13 letters from Santa this year. And I wept. They were funny. They were silly. They were meaningful. All of it was a reflection back of everything I've poured into them. And it was just my heart overflowed. My cup just ran over it. it was so cool. They were encouraging me and trying to lose weight. And they were blessing me in my walk with God. And it was just this wonderful mirror and and reflection of of them being the kids I've raised them to be. And it was really cool.
0: I think those moments are really magical when your kids mirror the best of you. Because so often they mirror the worst of you, you know, the things that you say that, whoa, I can't believe I said that. But then you hear it coming back at you. Yeah. But those moments when you see them mirror the best of your qualities are really great to see.
1: Yeah. I think I'm a much better Christian, much better person, having gone through the meat grinder of being a mom. I am kinder to my younger children than I was to my oldest when they were young because I've got witnesses everywhere watching everything I do I have to be a worthy person and not that I am always they're seeing what kind of parent I am and if I'm not a good parent they call me on it they're like um you need to you know you're not being very and you should stop then you know they're they're aware of it and they talk about it to me so I'm, one of the perks of having a big family I think is having them around and and saying hey mom you know that one needs their butt kicked or whatever yeah, I think I'm a better person, having had my children around watching me. And, you know, they're they're a big part of my motivation for being better than I am.
0: So you started out building your family, thinking that you would have three or four kids, spaced three or four years. And that has obviously changed over time. What else has changed in your view about parenting or your philosophy of parenting?
1: I think maybe like most parents, when I started off, I wanted my kids to be, you kind of want to grow up fast. You want them to be big. You want them to walk fast and develop quickly and read early. And you want them to do everything early. Milestones is the game. And there was a point that I got to where my older kids were older. And I felt like I I was driving around a mountain or driving around a bend and saw what was ahead. And I wanted to like turn around and say, whoa run, run back the other way, because I realized my time is running out. I don't have much time with them. And, you know, the, just that they grow up so quickly. And so I, I started kind of hitting the brakes on things. And, you know, if I've got a kid that could start this grade or be held back for, a, I always have them be the later grade. And, you know, I just, I'm not in a hurry anymore. And And just realizing this time is precious. I think in the last few years, I've stopped raising children and I've started raising future adults.
0: What does that mean?
1: I think for a while you think about, you just kind of think kids will always be here and you're training their behavior and you're training, you know, education and and those kinds of things. But then I started to realize I'm getting them ready for something. Yeah. I'm getting them ready for a life. They're going to be Academically, on their own, they're going to be. Their health is their own. Their, I don't know. There was just a point where I was like, "Wow!" Again, I guess, kind of looked down the road and, and realized I'm I'm raising adults and just wanting to impart the long view with them.
0: So there was maybe a shift in your mindset of raising them to be with you versus raising them to leave knowing that they're going to launch on their own. Yeah. And it just seemed like so
1: much bigger of a thing than the annual getting math, English, spelling, getting the things in versus, wow, you're going away. I want you to be ready for whatever going away means. I don't know. It was just a huge change in my, in my, I guess maybe in my homeschooling, but also in my parenting to say, I'm, I'm preparing you to, to go away to be ready for whatever else is out there.
0: I'm I'm thinking about, you know, you not only as mother, but, but teacher. So what made you decide to homeschool?
1: To have a homeschooling big family really is easier because to send them away and have them have to wear clean socks and clothes every day and have lunches for everybody, you know, have everybody on different schedules for tests and homework that really would be harder if you, if you think about it than having them at home and having to do it on my time. We decided to homeschool because we wanted to be with them. Um, when Catherine was the age of going away to school, I had three preschoolers and was pregnant. I mean, I don't have my parents in town or his parents in town. I wasn't going to go to any PTA meetings. I wasn't going to be a room mother. They were just going to be gone, and I didn't have any way to be involved with them at school So yeah, I mean, it it mostly was a discipleship thing and a wanting to be with them and wanting to be the primary influence in them. And, you know, Jesus said, a student is going to be like their teacher. That's the the end of education is for a student to be like their teacher. And I wanted to be the teacher.
0: What has being a mother taught you about God?
1: I could write a book about this. I could talk a long time about this. Recently, I was thinking how my different kids need very different version of me. Especially I was thinking about my virtual twins. One of them is just very tender and one of them is very tough and one of them is snuggly. And, you know, so I'm just very sweet with him and she is loud and boisterous and she needs loud love. And I'm just like, they both need mom. They need a completely different mom. And I was thinking about how the Lord Goes by so many different names. He's shepherd and he's savior and he's father and he's bridegroom and the way that we all need him so many different ways. You know, he has lots of different ways that he relates to his lots of different children. And I, you know, that made sense to me. You know, he's not schizophrenic. He just is able to be what we need. I think about God's mercies being new every morning and how I can be at the end of the day and be like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't call, nobody say mom anymore because I'm off the clock. I'm done. And in the morning, I'm so glad to see those faces. Oh, I just so glad to see you. I've missed you all night long. And I think God made us to sleep so that he would like us again in the morning. I'm convinced of that. So that, you know, we could have a refreshed mercy. God needs a break. Uh, Maybe, (laughs) yeah. I, I think that parenting is on the job training. People will say to me, oh, I could never have patience for that. I'm like, well, I didn't have this much patience when I had two kids. I have way more patience now than I did two years ago because I think you grow into whatever God gives you. And I think, you know, he, he is my source. He will supply all of my needs. And if in whatever form, he's my source. The hour and a half quiet isn't my source. Being a mother of a large family, or I think being a mother, you, you learn to find him there.
0: So I know you to be musical and creative. Are you finding ways to sustain those parts of your life between feedings and diaper changes and school lessons? I do.
1: I mean, I kind of skidoo off to the piano when I need to. I have a regular every week for an hour. I go and and sing to Jesus at our local house of prayer. It's just me and a piano, and there's a couple people in the room, but you know, I don't care if they're there. It doesn't really matter. And I open up my Bible and I sing to the Lord. And, and so that is a weekly date with the piano and the Lord that keeps a part of me alive. I have through the years, kind of written songs as memorials to whatever God's teaching me and talking to me about. And so I've written songs for people in my family and I've written songs for weddings and I've written songs for funerals and it's just a a way that I express. And the other day we were in the van and the kids are singing all these songs I've written. That are, I don't wish it was different. I'm, I feel like that part of me has opportunity. For, you know, sometimes I would do Christmas programs, write stuff for those, but it it still happens.
0: How do you and Brian manage marriage in the midst of the busyness of a big family?
1: Well, it was another thing I had down for a challenge of a big family because. It is a challenge. It's a challenge. I mean, marriage is a challenge anyway. I think marriage is always hard. I'm married to an introvert who's around people all day. And I'm an extrovert who is around children all day. And so all I want to do is flatten my yap. And all he wants is some peace and quiet. So marriage is always hard. We are trying to do the weekly date night thing. You know, another thing, we looked down the road and realized that at some point, it's just going to be back to the two of us. And we need to try to like each other. And, And I think... I don't think I can separate our marriage from our relationship with the Lord at all. Our marriage takes three. And some of those things don't have anything to do with having a big family. It's more having to do with forgiving and being kind and, and waiting until a better time to talk about whatever it is and not throwing stones in the moment and preferring each other and believing all things and hoping all things and enduring all things. And this stuff that I think it's not different for the large family. The thing that we have to do is carve out time, though, because having time around them, with them, doesn't really happen. One thing that I think has sustained us is that we pray together in the morning when he leaves. When he stays home, we don't usually remember to do it, but when he's going to go to work, we pray just briefly, but it's hands touching, touching God, opening our hearts before the Lord, and I think that has really in a very small way, made a huge difference.
0: What word of encouragement might you offer to another parent? I would say some of the things
1: I already said don't hurry. Don't hurry your kids along. Like, enjoy the time that you have with them. I think teaching children to love each other is a really big deal. And so when my As soon as there's a baby, I start talking to the next kid about this is your baby and loving your baby and taking care of you. And, you know, when the baby smiles, oh, look how he loves you. And I start brainwashing them very early about loving each other. I would tell people, don't teach your kids to behave. Teach their heart. Shepherd their heart. Don't just try and teach them to act a certain way, but like address the heart, not the behavior. I would tell people that your authority as a parent comes from God. So represent him well. That's a a big thing. So, you know, when we discipline our children, we're representing the authority of the Lord. We're representing him. And so we want to discipline them in a way that represents God, you know, with kindness. You know, I think the biggest thing that I would tell people is to be with your kids. Make sure that you have time to listen to what they're saying. Those long, those conversations that you have to have with kids that are usually at the most inopportune time, you know, it's at bedtime, I think we have to pour into them. And I think children are a worthy investment of our time, of our prayers, of our resources. I think they're, they're worth what we put into them. Wow. And one of the challenges of having a big family is that I have to make sure I have the conversations with the younger kids that I had with the older kids. And I've got these younger kids. And I'm oh, we haven't talked about that. We need to talk. Let's talk, you know, and, and talking about relationships and talking about, but talking about the important things over and over. But I think having those meaningful conversations with your kids, you know, on the back end of homeschooling, that's why I homeschool. Because I have the time to talk with them about the word of God and about the government and about love and about beauty and about, you know, those things, those conversations we need to have with them and that, that shape them and that, that make us who we are and, and make them who they are.
0: Well, your oldest daughter, Catherine is approaching adulthood. There's a sense of accountability and inspiration, it sounds like, um, that they yeah. hold you accountable and then they kind of call you to the best in yourself.
1: Absolutely. And marriage, too. They make us want to yeah. have a marriage that they would want to have.
0: Yeah. Um, are Are you living in an urban neighborhood with, with sort of an intention of urban ministry? We're living in an urban neighborhood. We
1: are the only white people on our block, probably within a few blocks. When we moved in, there was some drug activity on our block that we kind of knew about. We did neighborhood Bible school kind of things. You know, for a while, we had a couple homeless people that regularly came and had something to eat here. And we had one lady named Lena who put syrup on everything. She put syrup on pizza. She was... She was something else. We we had a great time getting an Alina. For the most part, the neighborhood has improved and there isn't really as much ministry to do here. Although with the economy being the way it is and there's maybe even more issues a little bit more recently, but we haven't really connected with those. So, I don't know if our time here is done or if as things go downhill, there will be more for us to do. You know, we're kind of an anomaly anyway. Wherever we would live, we would be kind of an anomaly, but especially here. We're just, just completely off the grid. Nobody knows what to do with us. And you know, it's a great neighborhood. People are great. So yeah, I mean, I think we fit in here probably as well as we would anywhere.
0: Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting.